Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. We got expert advice from the professionals. Nothing is off limits. Welcome to my podcast, Rach Leary Rated R. Happy Monday, everyone. I don't know why I'm singing as if I'm in a good mood. I'm freaking sad, okay? This is the last episode of season one of Rated R. Can you believe it? Can you fucking believe it? It's the last episode. Uh, just because Christmas is coming up, I can't speak on behalf of everyone, but I know a lot of people in this industry are as well. I'm just so busy from now until Christmas. I'm all over the place. I just thought, let's end it on this one. I was only planning to do sort of seven episodes for this season anyway, um, that we would come back in the new year and it would give me a chance for you guys to get involved and tell me who you want to see on the podcast. As you know, I interview sort of experts in specific fields. They are sort of more of like an adult topic nature, but I feel like they could be anyone, um, anyone. And we can just get a little bit more like adult with the conversation, whoever it is. So make sure you submit in your guest suggestions on Instagram, send me a DM, let me know. But let's focus on this episode. I'm so excited about this episode because I feel like this conversation is so important. This is the sexual health episode and we've got the amazing Dr. Leah Tidy on. She also has her own podcast called The Love Doctor Podcast where she has conversations about sex and sexual health. So anything that we do not cover in today's episode that she will have an episode on it 100% guaranteed and she is just so bubbly and lovely to speak to as well just makes it so comfortable speaking with her about these kind of things I ask her like the top googled sex questions so if you're like me some of the questions that came up I'm sure I've googled once or twice in my life as well and we also obviously like every episode go through your follower submissions as well so if you submitted one make sure you stay tuned to the end in case we cover it but without further ado for the final time of 2021 are you ready to get rated R because here we go here is Dr. Leah Tidy and let's talk all things sex and sexual health Dr. Leah, thank you so much for coming on the show. I am so excited to have a conversation with you 
on kind of all things sexual health and hopefully break the stigma that, you know, speaking about it, asking questions about it and doing something about our sexual health is embarrassing. Right. Thank you so much for having me. I, from doing my own podcast, I so rarely am the one who's being like asked questions. So I actually really enjoy it other than like middle schoolers, you know, a lot of 12 year olds who are like, is there such thing as masturbating too much? So, you know, it's it's nice to talk to like an adult about it as well. How funny that you've just asked that question because that is going to be something that we do talk about um and just to sort and a bunch of other questions that, you know, people might deem embarrassing, but it's not our sexual health is not embarrassing. It's so so important to talk about it and particularly for young adults, but also just particularly for people of all ages really. So, hopefully this episode helps normalize this topic for those who might feel, you know, uncomfortable talking about it I will be the person to ask the embarrassing questions today um so for those who may not know you uh Dr Leah has her own podcast called the Love Doctor podcast covering all sorts of conversations about sex and we are actually going to be recording an episode for her show so I'll be in the hot seat for that one and so that's something else for you guys to listen to afterwards but as well as being a podcaster you're also a sexual health educator with a PhD so can you tell us a little bit about what sparked your interest in this field is this something that you've like always been interested in I think so it's funny I wouldn't have said that until I started going along my sexual educator training and I was living with my parents at the time because COVID and my husband and I are like what are we gonna do let's just live with our families um and I I told my mom that I was like oh yeah I'm finishing my sexual educator training she's like that makes sense you have been asking me so many questions ever since you were a child and I didn't know how to answer them so really always been curious oh yeah like from you know uh being like five or six and I think in Canada that was around when same-sex marriage became legal and I had so many questions and I'm like tell me about men who have sex with men and she's like how do I talk to my six-year-old about this like where do I where do I start so it just kind of came from your own interest and then also your own education and then wanting to I guess share that education with with others yeah well I just think like you were saying before like we we are so rarely given the opportunity to talk openly about sex and there's like so much shame and stigma and stuff that's just like built around it. So I feel like I spent a lot of my like early 20s unpacking all of that and now, not that I'm much older, I'm 29, but even now I'm like, okay, I feel like now I have an understanding of like my own sexual self and I and I want to be able not to, to share my sexual self with many people, but I want to be able to kind of help people on their own journey. Right, I feel like that's the goal for everyone to just understand their sexual self because I feel like once you know that, it's so like liberating. But um, speaking of your PhD, this is uh, in applied theater, is that what it is? Uh, and it says you worked with older adults and youth to create a play about sexuality, which when I read that, I was like, that sounds so interesting. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that came about and what that involved? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that kind of started, so um, actually Applied Theatre originated in the UK. So I'll say a lot of the people who I have learned from and in terms of like Applied Theatre specialists, it's a very, very niche field of like using theatre for education and social justice. Yeah. Um, and I was taking a class um, in my undergrad around healthy sexuality and the professor talked about older adult sexual health. And I realized, I was like, how have I never thought about the fact that people like over the age of 50 are having sex? I'm like, duh, that makes sense. 
but I had never thought about it before. Right. I feel like we don't like to think about that because that <laughs> means our parents and... And grandparents. And grandparents. And on and on. <laughs> and on, and on. Exactly. So it's it's definitely hard to like reconcile when it's your own right parents. It's your relatives. You don't want to think about them having sex. And that's, <laughs> that's totally cool that you don't want to think about that. So I thought... Um, you know, what if I brought older adults and youth together? Because a lot of their experiences, surprisingly to me, were quite similar. Like a lot of uh, slut shaming, a lot of feeling like their sexuality is policed, being like, you know, there's so much information for people between the ages of like 20 and 40. Like it's okay if you're sexually active, but if you're a teenager or if you're older, it's like, no, we don't want to hear about it. Or it's like, oh, you're so cute. Oh, like puppy love or all oh, right, these old people right. holding hands. And I'm like, yeah, but like you can also have some really hot, like erotic sex at those ages too. Not that I am that age, but I hopefully when I yeah. reach that age. Totally. Yeah, so I decided to get this group together. None of them are related to each other. That was a really important thing. I was like, this is nobody's like grandchild or grandparent. Right. So two totally separate groups. Um, we spent five months together uh, creating this play around sexual health. And it it was so amazing to kind of see how they went from being so uncomfortable with each other to like openly discussing with audience members, talking about masturbation, talking about getting checked for STIs, like they were just incredible. Right, because I feel like drama in school was always that lesson that you kind of dread and everyone felt embarrassed about it, like having to, almost giving too much effort was like, oh my God, embarrassing. Whereas, you know, like it's actually more embarrassing. I feel like when you watch plays and stuff, if someone like wasn't giving in the effort, you'd be like, oh, come on, like we want, we want more and it's actually what the people want. So I love that you combined your two passions of like sexual health and theatre, like I think that's so fab. So do you think that combining theatre arts with sexual health education was actually, that is actually like a good effective teaching method. It's almost combining two like embarrassing like topics and just getting everyone to really relax and like feel normal talking about it or and, and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was that was definitely it. Like I kind of, in terms of my theatre practice, you know, the whole point was how can I use this to hopefully make the world a better place in some way and I'm such a sex nerd I was like okay like I want to make sure that I can combine those two so even now as a sexual educator like I'm not putting on you know fully fledged performances like on stage but I'm using these kind of dramatic um activities as it were like as I'm teaching sex ed so I would do like a role play activity of how do you tell someone that you really want them to use a condom, right? That I don't feel safe unless you use a condom. And you, in a safe environment, you get people to like rehearse and practice that conversation. So when they're having it in real life, they're like, oh, I, I kind of have an understanding of how that could go. And I have like a, a script in my head that I can come back to. So just trying to give people the tools to have those conversations that can be super awkward. I love that because I feel like also you see a lot on TV they incorporate real life situations, uh, you know, on our favorite soaps or in movies and stuff. And it's like, and sometimes you watch them and you're like, oh, that that's happened to me before. So it's interesting to see how other people approach it, how they deal with it. And sometimes actually, actually, I know for me personally, I'm a visual learner. So something like that, like someone acting something out and that's relatable it has more of an impact on me because I remember things like that better. So I love that way of 
of educating. I think it's actually really effective. It's also, especially when you see it on TV, almost subconscious learning. Like I don't, I don't realize that what I'm watching is like a lesson. And then when maybe that actually does happen in my life, I'm like, oh, I remember like I saw that play or I saw that movie. I saw that TV program where it happened there. And this is what they did. So it, it is, it is like, a lesson as such but it's it's just yes. like a more fun lesson that you may not even realize that you're having so I love that that's something that you really you know mm-hmm. are passionate about because I think for me specifically being a visual learner I would really benefit from things like that and I feel like a lot of other people would as well yeah I guess like the last thing I kind of want to like say about that is it totally makes sense that you would learn more from that kind of experience than you would from like a lecture, say. And this is someone like, I, I teach at the university, so I, I get it. Like me standing in front of a lecture hall, some students are really gonna enjoy that. But a lot of people like, you're on TikTok, you're on Instagram, you're watching shows. And the great thing about that is you're learning something, but then if you need to have maybe a conversation with someone about boundaries and you don't know how to bring it up, you're like, so I was watching an episode of the show the other day and this happened between these two people what do you think about that? Isn't that interesting? And what a nice way to kind of subtly lean into that conversation without outright being like, hey, uh, we need to talk about this. Like, these are my boundaries. Or just uh, like you said about TikTok, sending someone a TikTok being like, "Uh uh-huh, what do you you think about this TikTok? It came up on my For You page. Like, what do you think? I think that's the way that we're just evolving in terms of like, like, I feel like I learned so much from social media. I know it's deemed like bad in some ways, but I think we need to realize that that is the most common platform that like even older generations are on right now. So, you know, talking about these important, like that's why I have this podcast. I feel like podcasts, especially over the last year or so being in a lockdown have just become so popular. And it's like, right, I still want to talk about like important conversations, but like, so now let's do it in a way that people are gonna listen and everyone's been loving podcasts at the moment and I wanted to kind of take advantage of that and like have an important message but still make it fun and interesting and like relevant and accessible to to people these days of like all ages especially young adults and especially on topics like this of sexual health where I feel like within young adults we got to talk about it more so moving on to the the main chunk of this podcast which is going to be talking about sexual health. Um, I actually wanted to ask you some most Googled sex, sexual health questions, because when it comes to our own sexual health, I feel like we'd all rather, like me included, I'd rather turn to Google than actually have like face going, like face going to a doctor or a sexual health clinic to ask an actual expert and get help, which is sad. (laughs) But I feel like it's true. We'd all rather just be like, okay, like, let me just Google it. I'll get the answer from Google and then I'll deal with it myself. Mm -hmm. And like I said earlier, I'm hoping this conversation helps to normalize these seemingly embarrassing questions and helps people feel less embarrassed as I'll be the one to take one for the team. And I will ask you (laughs) possibly on behalf of someone listening, or that's just like, wondering about this kind of thing themselves so let me go through like I was actually quite surprised that these are most googled because sometimes I'm like doesn't that seem obvious but some people just literally have no idea no clue they had no sex ed in school they don't have friends or family that are open to discuss things like this and again that was another reason why I wanted to have you on because this then puts my followers onto your platform where you have these important conversations all of the time and I'm sure you've got an episode that covers literally any sexual conversation so number one how often should we be getting sexual health checks I know that's obviously going to depend on the person but what's your stance on that 
Right. So there's there's a few things to kind of think about if you're thinking about how often you should get checked for sexually transmitted infections. So the first thing is if you have a new sexual partner, it's just good practice to get tested like before you start like engaging with sex with each other. Um, also, if you are, um, say if you're in like an open relationship, you're seeing multiple people um, or your partner is seeing multiple people and it's been like three to six months between getting checked, then you should probably get checked again just just to make sure. Um, and that's one of the things as well, like in terms of STIs, I think we have this like fear that if we like give someone like a handshake or a hug or something like that, like that's still a fear that people have. I'm like, really? Unless like your mouths, your genitals or your anus are involved, like, you know, if, if you're like making out with someone, there's like some risk that you could get maybe like herpes or something like that. But most of the time, unless you're actually doing like other sexual activities like oral sex or penetrative sex, uh, then that's when you want to make sure that you're using different barrier methods. But yeah, make sure you're getting checked new sexual partners or if, you know, if you're seeing multiple people, your partner's seeing multiple people. Um, the other thing is too, is if you notice something that's different about your body, like is it smelling different? Is something like growing in a weird way? Is it itchy or red or some things we say too is if, if it hurts when you're going to the bathroom, like when you're peeing, you're like, hmm, there's kind of like this burning sensation. We should know what our genitals look like normally so that if yeah. something changes, we're like, aha, this would be a good indication for us to go get checked. I was going to say, number one, let's normalize not being offended if you're dating someone new and they say, when was the last time you got checked? Like that, like that, don't be, I feel like your instant reaction is to be like, oh my God, like, why are you asking me that? Like, who do you think I am? Like all of this, but it's actually like, let's have some respect. Cause number one, it takes a lot of courage to sort of ask that, but it's more just because it's like, well, I want to have sex with you. And I, <laughs> so take it as a compliment. I just want to make sure that mm -hmm. we're all good in that department. And number two, mm -hmm. again, let's normalize knowing what our own, genitals look like like grab a mirror and just have a look and be like okay that's what she looks like we're all good yada yada <laughs> yeah, but absolutely. you kind of led me on to the second most um like one of the other most googled questions which are what are signs that we need to get ourselves checked so again it will be noticing a change is there anything else i guess well, I guess the, the hard thing is, like, especially with, like, chlamydia and gonorrhea, and these are, like, the most common, like, STIs. And normally, they actually come together. They're like buddies. They're, they're kind of codependent, actually. So if you have one, you might, there's, you know, there's a good chance you might have the other. Uh, but 80% right. of the time, especially folks who have vulvas, they won't have any symptoms. They'll have no symptoms whatsoever. Um, and yeah. same same with folks with penises. Like sometimes they'll be kind of like um, like a white like discharge. That's like not semen or cum. You'll you'll know it's different. Um, right. <laughs> but there's some yeah some sort of like discharge or if it's itchy um, or if there's like like a smell that you're like hmm like I'm just gonna say genitals smell like genitals. They shouldn't smell like roses or anything else. They should smell like genitals. But we know yeah. when they're smelling like different, like if it's more of like a fishy smell or something like that. Um, right. But yeah, I think the really important thing is most of the time we have no idea. So that's why it's important to build in those regular checks because you don't want to pass that on to someone and then not know and then have all these right. underlying symptoms like that. That sucks. Especially with women, leaving chlamydia undetected can lead to all sorts of issues like infertility and like God forbid, but you know, th these things that that does happen. And that also again leads me on to the next question, which was that I think this was actually 
the most Googled question, it might have been in like 2019 or 2020 that was like sex related, is what are the symptoms of chlamydia? And and, and unfortunately, it's probably one of the most common STDs, but I was suddenly thinking like, um, what even is chlamydia? Like, do, are you able to break down what it even is and then the symptoms in, I think there's more symptoms in men, but like the possible symptoms in women as well, which like we said before, unfortunately, there aren't actually a huge amount of symptoms if you've got it and you're a woman. But yeah, can you break down what it actually even is? Like, why is it so common? Yeah. So chlamydia, we kind of like separate STIs into like two things. We have bacterial and um, and we have viral, right? So bacterial is like chlamydia, gonorrhea. Um, sometimes we'll put like um, like crabs, you know, like in there as well. Um, That's like a, a crabs, not crabs, but like a yeast infection would be in there, right? Like if you've got that. Yeah. that's bacteria yeah so you wouldn't necessarily like call it an sti because you can get yeast infections other ways but that's kind right of the hard thing as well is that so often like there's so many important things that are going on like especially in our vaginas and vulvas right like there you know we we're dealing with like urine but we're also like orgasming like it does so many complex things but it only has a few ways of telling us what's going on with it so quite often you're like maybe it's a yeast infection or maybe it's chlamydia so it's it's really hard to know but the, the thing when it when it comes to like chlamydia and these other bacterial infections it's the same sort of way as like getting a cold basically you have a cold in your genitals and we wouldn't shame anyone if you know like they caught the bus and they happened to like get a cold we're not like oh my gosh why were you on the bus like oh right how, how dare you take the bus it's like yeah I'm like just living my life so it's it's I think a part of that is just like breaking down the stigma of, you know, the only way that you're for sure not going to get an STI is to like never have any sexual contact with someone ever again. Because in our lives, most of us are going to get at least at least one STI. It's going to happen. I'll hold my hand up and say I have had chlamydia once and it was one time and that was it. But, you know, it, it like I said, I feel like most of the people I know, if you'd be like, have you had chlamydia before? It's like, yeah, once. And you, I feel like once you've had it once, you're like... I, I'm not I don't want to do that again and I'm just gonna I learned my lesson <laughs> I'm not I'm not experiencing that again no one wants to say they've had chlamydia twice yeah. that's for sure <laughs> well and it's hard but no to... shame if you have no shame if you have yeah. I'm just saying I feel like most people would say like you know one time yeah definitely there's like some rates of people who get like reinfected in it like say if like they got chlamydia and they go get treated like they take a round of antibiotics normally for like 10 days to two weeks uh but then if they have sex with a partner who didn't get treated and didn't know that they have chlamydia then they keep like reinfecting themselves and this can sometimes happen with yeast infections and stuff as well like you can keep getting reinfected so it's so important that like it's on everyone who's having sex to get checked and then also if some things happen, then to then deal with it. Because most of the time, yeah. it's not actually that big of a deal to take the antibiotics, um, but it gets worse the longer it kind of goes on. Again, it's another reason why we need to normalize asking people these questions because you would hate to look back and just be like, if I had known that the person that I had slept with had this or if they'd said, it's that again it's a thing of like you'd hope that they would be honest with you if you did ask but for me it was a case of that the person that I had slept with had been sleeping around and I didn't ask I didn't like and then I was just like for fuck's sake I should have just said like when was that like who was the last person that you like that sort of thing I should have asked because it's it's not worth the like aftermath of of an STI like luckily it was just something simple that you can get 
fixed take a pill every day for like a week and it's easy but you know you get some cases where you sleep with someone and they had herpes and they didn't tell you and that leads me on to like my next question because I'm not sure if you guys um know much about herpes I actually personally don't but one of the most googled questions was can you get rid of herpes once you have it and I actually know someone they're not in my life anymore but like that had it and they would sort of describe it as you know it's only contagious if it it, it, it's I don't know what the word is not active but it goes through periods of being active and non-active and and stuff Mm -hmm. so can you elaborate a little bit on actually what herpes is for one and Mm -hmm. then can you actually get rid of it once you've got it Right. That's a great question. I'll I'll do kind of like a brief overview. Like in terms of STIs, it's really important to know that all STIs are treatable, like all of them, and most of them are curable. We know not all of them. And herpes is one yeah. of the ones that's that's not curable, unfortunately. And there's right. still like so much stigma around herpes. Um, sometimes we've, we separated it for a long time. We call it um, herpes simplex virus 1 and herpes simplex virus 2. So HSV 1 or 2. And it used to be, you know, one was the one that you would get on your mouth. So kind of like like a cold sore, like an open sore either so, on your oh, lips. So a cold sore is actually herpes, a mm-hmm. form of herpes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Okay. And so it's, and it's interesting, it's the same sort of thing. So HSV2 would be the kind of um, cold sores or herpes that you would get on your genitals. But it's funny, we used to have this real delineation of like, oh, do you have HSV1 or HSV2? The the new the good news is I guess is that we've had so much oral sex over the last twenty years that it doesn't really matter. You have a fifty fifty chance. Like even if you have uh, cold sores on your mouth, fifty fifty chance it's HSV one or HSV two. So right now we're just kind of saying herpes, and it can happen on your mouth or your genitals. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, like like um, your friend was saying who knew before. Like it, it kind of sits in weight in your body and a lot of time it's inactive, right? So only if you're having like an active flare up, um, sometimes there's something called uh, shedding. So like if some of the um, like active like material, like if you're, you know, making out with someone or you're performing oral sex or something, then you could pass it on. But a lot of time, if you're not experiencing symptoms or if you're taking, there's some medications you can take, then it's, it's quite a low risk that you would pass that on to someone else. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. I see. Gosh, that feels so complicated. I literally, so even if you, so if you've got herpes on your mouth, that's still something that you might have to disclose to be like, I have herpes, but it's not, like you could, could if you had it on your mouth, could you transmit that through like penetrative sex or no? Um, Would it just no, have to? Yeah, mainly just through like like oral sex. If you're doing something like that, so if you had like an oh. active cold sore in your mouth, and you know, say you're like going down on someone, or you're doing some sort of anal play, then you could transmit it that way. But even if like you're not having an active flare up, or even you're having active flare up in your mouth, but you're only having say like penis and vagina sex or something like that, you're not going to pass it on to them that way, right? It's so not- how does how does one get herpes on their mouth? Would that be kissing someone or performing oral sex on someone where it's it is flared up but would you not notice like it, it, mm-hmm. if if like especially on the mouth if they have a cold sore or something personally for me I, I probably wouldn't kiss kiss someone that like if I saw that just because I'd be like well like like yeah. do you know do you know what I mean like yeah so 
I don't like. Can you explain that a little bit more? Like, I, I'm trying to ask questions that I feel like most like people might mm. be thinking. And again, I'm thinking. I'm just thinking out loud here. Like, I personally wouldn't kiss someone if I saw that they had a uh, coleslaw on their mouth. So I'm thinking, how do you? I is it literally you would just kiss someone with a coleslaw on their mouth and then you would get it? Potentially, but sometimes you know, probably the longer that people have herpes, the more that they are used to feeling the symptoms. Like they'll feel like a tingling in the area where one might be happening. Um, oh. So there's kind of active days on either side before you would like act actually like see it. So you might not know. Right. And if you do have it on your genitals, right? Like sometimes if you are getting like herpes or some sort of sore, sometimes it's like inside your vagina or on like the underside of your penis so sometimes you wouldn't even see it or you wouldn't know or be quite small or you know depending if right. you if you like shave or you wax you might just think it's like a small abrasion or something and not know okay. what it is and I think that's how it would be transmitted but also yeah I can see like with folks who are having and I can't speak I don't have herpes myself but if you had an open cold sore I can imagine it would also be painful to make out with someone at that point like right it's, it's quite yeah a painful I, was, experience. I was just thinking like I, I, I don't really know how that would work, but I guess, yeah, I suppose if you're not really familiar with your own symptoms as of yet, and so it, it's like prior to an actual flare-up and you mm. have contact with someone, I suppose that might that might be it. Yeah. But, um, the next question that we have is, if we smell down there, but it's not an STI, like you've been checked, you've just noticed that the smell is off, what can we do to improve that and is it common? Um, it, it is quite common, but I think there's there's a reason for that. I would say common, like people feeling distressed about the smell of their genitals, primarily like folks with vulvas and vaginas. And there's kind of like a twofold reason for that. One is that um, it is easier for folks with vulvas and vaginas to get yeast infections or urinary tract infections, um, just because our, you know, our urinary tract is a lot shorter than someone who, who has a penis. So it's more likely that we could get some sort of infections. Um, but there isn't there's a lot of um stigma around what our vaginas like should smell like and like i said before our genitals should just smell like genitals so if there's like um like a lingering like a like a fishy smell that's like distressing to you then absolutely going to talk to a gynecologist about what's what's going on but if you're using like a, like a harsh like a soap or like douching oh my gosh please no one who's listening please don't douche your vagina <laughs> is self-cleaning like it cleans itself like right it's amazing it's an amazing amazing thing um so really yeah it's just making sure that it, it sounds silly as well but i don't think we tell people enough to like how to wash themselves properly because that might just be the issue like using like yeah. a gentle uh soap and make sure we're watching washing the vulva so like externally we're washing it but we don't need to put any soap like inside the vagina and if you do that you're like you're irritating and kind of messing up the balance like the ph balance in there so that that could be what's happening could be a yeast infection which again is super common if you're wearing like tight clothes or if you're working out and you like are wearing like sweaty um tight fitting clothing that doesn't let your body breathe um so yeah i mean one of the things i like to tell people to do is i'm like sleep naked if you can like it's, it's so great for your body just sleep naked yeah i remember i've my friends used to be like you don't wear pants to bed and i'd be like oh my god is that really bizarre like i like i've never worn pants to bed unless i'm just wearing pants to bed if that makes sense but i would never wear like pajama bottoms and and pants like yeah. that was just i was like oh is that weird but is it true that like foods 
effect like the smell down there apparently like i think i even did a video about it once and it was a common question and i actually googled it myself um if you eat a lot of like onions and stuff like that like that can actually impact the smell <laughs> i think i think a lot of or that... is that a myth yeah i think that comes down to a big like urban myth like of course like you know our body all of our systems are working together right so if you've like eaten a lot of something and maybe you feel like bloated and your body's like working through that like maybe there might be a like a smell or maybe like you ate a lot of garlic but garlic comes through like our skin right like that's yeah. when you can like smell it like I don't know if you've ever like had well, like a asparagus garlic. makes your pee smell yeah. that's true because I am severely affected by asparagus I could take a bite of asparagus and then I go for a pee and I'm like oh my god what <laughs> I don't understand but yeah right? that's what I think that's why I thought that foods might uh, like actually like affect that part because I, I feel like that it makes sense and I've, I've experienced firsthand that eating can affect the smell of things but yeah yeah it's I, kinda... feel, I feel like you don't want to everyone always wants their vagina or like if you're a guy I guess as well maybe like you see in the movies when they go like they pull their pants like just spray like everyone always wants it like to to smell good but it's like if you want it to smell good keep perfume the fuck away from your genitals because that if anything it's gonna make it smell bad good for a start and then maybe a week you'll be like <laughs> that right? doesn't smell that also, smell like, good. if you're wanting to have sex with someone and you, like, spray perfume, like, on your genitals, like, they're not going to want to put their mouths on that. And, like, and if you're going to, like, put your genitals together, their genitals probably are going to feel, like, irritated. Like, it's really sensitive skin down there, right? So you, yeah. even, like, regular soap that you would use on your body, like, maybe if you use a more, like, abrasive or scented soap, you probably want to use, like, an unscented, more, like, gentle or mild thing, right? Because it's it's specialized yeah. skin. Your pH which... is your best friend. You want it to stay, like, balanced as possible. Exactly. But um, something else, which, again, might be another myth, is that apparently certain exercise leads to better sex. Is this true? I read, like, that apparently if someone does a lot of, like, strength like a lot of muscle exercises that they just tend to have better sex. Like, is this true? Uh, it's it's hard to say because say if someone is like really into exercise and like they feel like their body is like really strong and really sexy, like, yeah, that might contribute to you having better sex. But when it comes to sex, it's less about like what's happening in your body. Like your biggest sex organ is your brain. Right. So it's like, okay, what's the context? Like, am I enjoying the situation where I'm having sex? Do I feel grounded in my body? So of course there are certain things like, um, like Kegels that like any, like, you know, anybody can do where it's like tightening, like the pelvic floor muscles that can help like strengthen orgasms and things like that. But I wouldn't say like, just because you do like a really sick core workout that like the next day you're like wow I'm gonna have like 10 orgasms for sure like that's, <laughs> that's not really how that's gonna work yeah I feel like maybe it, it's just because people or I feel like maybe that's just a question because those people that are doing those workouts are like they are training certain parts of their body and like have con like maybe just a little bit more control over their muscles in general and you know maybe the muscle control might be like why you mm -hmm. think that they're gonna have like better sex but I feel like 
Better sex just comes down to, yeah, like the brain, what you know, the situation. But a very common question that's been Googled as well as actually when I asked my followers to submit questions, which is what we're gonna go on to next. I've not, I've deliberately not picked these ones because I knew I was gonna ask you this anyway, is never having an orgasm during sex. Is there something wrong? Mm. Is that is that common? Uh Unfortunately, it, it can be a common experience. And again, of course, this can happen to folks of all different genders, but I think this specifically happens to uh, to folks with vulvas because I think the way that we are trained to think about sexual pleasure, a lot of it is very like penis-centric or like penetrative sex-centric. You're like, okay, penis and vagina sex, people are like, oh, I need to be able to orgasm from that because that's like the best way to have sex or what we expect. Actually, there's I think there's only like 20% of folks with vulvas who can like consistently orgasm from purely penetrative sex. Like we need some sort of clitoral stimulation. And so from oral sex or using our hands or vibrators, toys, like you're way more likely to have a pleasurable experience. So it's, but it can't be really disheartening, right? If you're having some sort of, some form of partnered sex and you're not orgasming, that can feel disheartening. And I think because we we like to think that orgasm is like the ultimate goal of sex when it actually like it isn't like it, it might. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Of course, we want to feel good when we're having sex, but we have sex for so many different reasons. Like we want to feel yeah. close to someone. We want to feel empowered. It's it's a way to, yeah, like show our affection for them. Um, or it's a way to just like try out some really hot fantasies and like come a whole bunch of times. Who knows? Yeah. I, I On one of my episodes, I actually had a sex therapist on and she said that she actually tells uh, her couples that come in and if that's a common question about not being able to orgasm, she actually says to them, please don't have an orgasm as your end goal like when you're having sex like if anything she advises them not to do that like that should not be the end goal you want to like enjoy the the just journey and just exploring each other's bodies if you're so focused on the fact that you feel like you have to orgasm then you probably won't you know, it's like when people say um about getting into a relationship when all you're thinking about is i really want a boyfriend or a girlfriend i really want a partner i really want a partner i really want a partner and it's like you'll never People are like, if you're actively just like trying so hard, like you're more than likely not gonna do it because you're trying so hard. And I know that sounds stupid, like, but it, it, I feel like it applies to an orgasm as well. Like if you're trying so hard and you really, really want it, it's like you're so distracted by mm. what's actually happening in the now. And you're trying to focus on the future of like, I need this orgasm to happen. Then yeah. it, 
it probably won't because you're just completely distracted. So I feel like not having an orgasm during sex if you're if that is all you're thinking about and like thinking like I need to do that that that's probably why you're not having one because mm-hmm. you're so focused on that and not you know the person that you're with like thinking about oh I want them to touch here I want them to touch here you're just like oh my god why isn't it happening why isn't it happening why isn't it happening yeah I, I feel like it's sex is also very situational it's the same for guys as well like mm-hmm. if they can't get hard or something it, it might just be because you're so focused on the fact that I need to have a rock hard penis right now to like <laughs> to like do this that it's like, just, like we all just need to like relax I feel like that's something that I struggle with is I struggle to relax sometimes and it's like when you just like let go and it's carefree which is again why I think it's so important to uh have sex with someone that you're comfortable with just uh, like just relax enjoy yeah. the moment enjoy mm-hmm. the now and fingers crossed the orgasm will will follow and i i love how you're talking about that like if, if you're like in your body you're feeling comfortable in the moment absolutely like the orgasm it 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 will come more easily if you're not like really focusing on it but i think what we've what we've done is we've made like orgasm synonymous with pleasure and they're not the same thing like of course it can be very pleasurable to have an orgasm but if your goal not that we should have goals when we're having sex it should just be to Let's experience pleasure right now. Pleasuring ourselves, pleasuring each other. Like that that should be the focus. And then the more that you're focused on like, oh wow, like when you touch me this way, it feels amazing. Then, you know, everything gets a bit easier. When you're just focused on pleasure, less on like, okay, let's make sure that we like come or like multiple times yeah. or at the same time. Like, yeah, too much pressure. Definitely. I, I feel like, especially with guys to girls, this is just me being generic and stereotypical. It's... it's almost deemed like a flex to be like oh yeah I made her orgasm and stuff so like it might be again when you're having sex with someone like with a guy he's also so focused on the fact that it it's stereotypically so hard to make a girl orgasm that he's not actually in the moment he's just like going at it thinking like I just need to do this and do that to like make her orgasm because that, that's like a flex these days mm. but like even I can say like I've had sex with people before and thought that was really good sex but I, I didn't orgasm but like I'm not I'm not offended that you didn't like you know make me orgasm I had a good time anyway there were other elements that were like good and I feel like because it's just easier I feel like girls we don't really think that way because boy, boys tend to orgasm like they just orgasm so much quicker it's not really a flex to like make him orgasm because that's deeming, seemingly like so much easier supposedly mm-hmm. like just generically it, it is deemed easier but the final one i want to end on which is what you said earlier the another very googled question before we move on to the follower questions is how much masturbation is too much masturbation it's such a good question it's one that that honestly again i get asked by adults older adults middle schoolers all the time really the thing is if it is distressing to you, like the amount that you're masturbating, like is it stopping you from like, you know, getting dressed and having a shower or going to school? Like if it's impacting your regular life, then that it probably is a bit much. That's, that's a bit much going on. I think one of the main things is people want to know is am I normal? Like is it normal that I want to like masturbate or pleasure myself this often? And I think especially, you know, when we're figuring out that our bodies can feel this way, we're like, oh my god I have like a superpower that I can make this happen like power to you of course like explore that um but yeah there's I think 
not so much like a fine line of like you don't want it to be like impacting your daily life, but just because you're masturbating once, twice, three, four, five times a day, if, if it fits into your day and you're not feeling distressed about it, then that's that's totally cool. Or for I'll also normalize like if people are like not really into masturbating, that's also okay. Like totally normal, totally fine. But I would recommend like you probably you will have better sex if you know how your own body works. Like if you know what makes you come, you know what makes you feel good. Um, yeah, I'll also say there's some people who if you masturbate a lot and do it like in a really specific way, like I always make sure I'm like lying on my stomach and I'm doing this or whichever. Sometimes if we get so used to coming in that one way, when it comes to partnered sex, we're like, oh no, but I can only, I've created this like brain pathway. Your body becomes sort of like programmed. Yeah. That that's the only way that's going to be able to happen. Totally. So switch it up. You know, variety is a spice of life. Like try, try like masturbating and sex in all sorts of different ways so that your brain can get used to, you know, like experiencing pleasure in lots of different ways. Because a lot of people feel distressed of like, I know that I can come from masturbating, but I can't when I'm having partnered sex, which is totally normal. But yeah, try, try switching it up every now and then. Yeah. I feel like it's only really an issue if yeah like you said if it's affecting your everyday life or maybe like it's like consuming your thoughts or you know Mm. just something like that I always feel like people in relationships it's always a a worry if like a partner seems to be doing a lot when you're like in a relationship because then you're like what why why do you need to do that I feel like it's quite circumstantial some people don't necessarily do it for well it is always I guess for pleasure but if they've got like a really stressful job sometimes it's actually just a form of like release in some Mm -hmm. way so I feel like it definitely depends on the person and it should only yeah it's only really an issue with most things if it's if it feels like an addiction then that then I think that's when maybe you need to be like okay I need I need to calm down a little bit but also again with the mixing it up Guys, if you go on like uh like a sex toy website, oh my god, there's like five pages of different sex toys and you're like, what the hell? Like I just thought the only 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 thing that existed was like a vibrator, which by the way, I do recommend that every girl should at least have like a form of a vibrator because the difference when it's like yourself and a toy is like oh wow. It's like a different <laughs> level of pleasure that I feel like should not be like should not be embarrassed to own a sex toy. Like, they make it so easy for you now. So many companies, like, capitalize off the fact that people are probably embarrassed to own a sex toy. They make it so easy to just order it, be discreet. Mm-hmm. And they there's such a variety. Like, if the thought of this giant, like, like big, thick thing is scaring you, and you think, because that's all you sort of know of, uh like a dildo or something they have like the cutest ones now like they have like just cute little things um you can take in your handbag if you're going somewhere like like going to like a dick appointment or whatever like they just make it so easy and i definitely think especially as a way to experiment with yourself um guys like if you don't have a vibrator this is your sign to go online and order one right now because yeah you'll be like oh how have I been doing things without it? Like, it's not embarrassing. It's actually so fun. And they're so cute as well. I know that sounds so weird, but like they have really cute ones these days. Don't be, just have a little browse. Have a little browse and see. Right. And the people who own, who own those uh, sex shops, like especially independent sex shops, they want to talk to you about it. Like you can go online. Like, yeah, there's so many independent sex shops 
you ask them being like, I don't even know where to begin, they will help you. This is their life's work. I, I cannot recommend enough. Like I love going into like sex shops and like checking them out and talking to the people who work there. They're just fantastic. So don't, this is literally their job. They will not yeah. feel embarrassed to talk to you about it. And there is literally a toy for every sort of form of, or like every way that you might feel pleasure that there'll be a toy that stimulates that for you because they're like, and like I said, everyone's different. Um, and I'm sure there'll be some sort of toy for that. But while we've got about like 15 or so minutes left, I wanted to go through my follower submissions because I feel like annoyingly, I mean, I've said this a few times throughout the episode, the sort of conversation around sex and sexual health feels a little bit embarrassing. So I wanted to give my followers the chance to sort of, it's like them asking you, but it like I'll be the one to actually like say it. Because um, it is a shame. I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily have uh, like family where it's like super open conversation about it or like fret like sometimes if you might want to bring something up with your friends but you don't know if it's they'll think you're weird or whatever mm-hmm. so I'm gonna ask you a few submissions and hopefully they'll be relatable to other people as well like I know just one person has submitted this but again when it comes to things like this you are never gonna be the first person to have thought this or asked this question to a professional like like or had this thought in their head Like we're all human. We've all had these thoughts and these questions. So Mm -hmm. the first one is, uh, again, this goes back to sort of what we spoke about earlier. I recently got diagnosed with HPV, even though I was being safe during every sexual experience I've had. And I've had the vaccine as well. I'm in a new relationship now and I've told my partner he's very supportive and is still okay with us having sex. I just feel like there's something wrong with me now and I can't fully get in the mood when having sex, even though we've been as safe as we can be. Would you have any advice? Mm, that's such a good question. And and sucks too that there's, you know, like this person did everything that they could. They went and got vaccinated. And the HBV vaccine is fantastic. Um, I have it myself and it's super helpful. But the most common one, the Gardasil 9, uh, prevents against nine strains of HPV. But I think there's upwards of like 16 to 18 different strains. There's lots of different strains. So uh, the one thing I want to say is if you did get uh, vaccinated, the reason that those main strains of HPV are in that vaccine is that... Wait, sorry, what is HPV? It's called human papillomavirus. And the only way to like never, ever get HPV is to basically never see another human being in your life. Like not like because probably all of us are going to probably get one type of HPV in our lives. And that's just kind of like the, the very normal thing. And even if people are listening, you're like, hmm, I don't know if I have HPV. You probably have HPV. Like pro- probably. Um, but Are there symptoms of it? Um, not not a, a lot. But the, the thing why the vaccine was so important is that there are certain strains of HPV that can lead to genital warts. So if they've gotten the vaccine, they, they won't get genital warts or pass that on to someone else. Uh, and there's also uh, no risk of cervical cancer. And that was the real reason why the HPV vaccine was so helpful because is, we... Is that the... Like, so in school, I had the cervical cancer jab. Is that a HPV jab? Yeah, is definitely. That, is, oh, right. Yeah. Okay, I see. Yeah. Well, okay. it, and it's kind of amazing too. Like, you know, there's so much cancer research going on in the world, but we know definitively that HPV, certain strains of HPV can lead to cervical cancer. And right. we don't have that kind of clear-cut answer for not really like any other like form of cancer itself. So 
to this listener, if you've had the vaccine um, and you're still being sexually active with a partner, doing all of the things that, that you know, to stay safe, hopefully that helps ease your mind knowing that the major things, like the major forms of HPV, you have been vaccinated against. No genital warts, no cervical cancer. And the other ones, you know, it's unfortunate that we have it. But again, the only way to make sure that you never get HPV is to just like not touch another human being in your life. So it's not something that you did that was wrong, but trying to make sure that you feel like safe and comfortable in the sex that you're having. Because if you're worried about like, oh my gosh, am I going to pass it on to them? Is this what's going to happen? If you're in that kind of cycle in your brain, then you can't enjoy the sex that you're having. So being rest assured that you have done everything that you can to stay safe. And while it's while it's unfortunate, I don't want to invalidate your experience at all. Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's not something that, you know, you didn't do anything wrong. You did everything that you could to protect yourself. So hopefully by knowing that and by talking to your partner about like, look, there's no chance we're going to get genital warts. We're going to get cervical cancer. Like that, that hopefully can yeah. help like ease your mind. Well, there's also other ways to like be sexy with your partner without, you know, actually having sex you know maybe just like have a play and like experiment do a little dance like you know what I mean like if you're just so focused on like the act of sex and that's what's stressing you out uh, like just have a play I guess maybe like Mm -hmm. just to ease yourself into it if that if obviously you still want to be having sex with your partner maybe just ease yourself like have a bit more of a build-up of the situation just to help you relax I feel like that that might help so I hope I hope that advice if the person is listening is um is helpful Mm -hmm. but another one is um when I lost my virginity the guy who I slept with gave me chlamydia I had it for roughly about three months before I was tested for it I was in a relationship with him but now four years later I'm on no contraception or anything and I've had a couple of missed periods but I'm not pregnant would my chances of getting pregnant be lower because of the fact I was left untreated for so long Mm, that's a great question i i think we have a lot of fears around infertility which is absolutely fair because that's a lot of people's experiences but in the grand scheme of things three months is not actually that long to go undetected um i i want to make a caveat that i'm not a medical doctor i'm a sexual health educator and i get to have like the doctor in front of my name um but you have known because you've heard the beginning of this episode um but i think what's what's really important about that. Um, sorry, one sec. My brain kind of like went to a totally different area. That's okay. okay. Um, I think for a lot of girls, when it comes to like missing a period and stuff, we, we go into panic mode anyway. And sometimes it's it can be related to anything. It could be re- like stress related or, you know, other things like that. If you're generally concerned about, you know, not, not being able to get pregnant then a hundred percent go to a doctor and just like just exactly the way that you've said it to me like you know I had chlamydia and I and I didn't get it treated for a while um I keep getting these missed periods like you know or maybe not even a doctor or it's annoying because I think I I don't know personally because I've actually never been to a gynecologist I don't know if you can just go to a gynecologist or you have to be referred to a gynecologist but if you go to your doctor and just say like look I think I want to be referred to a gynecologist because this is what's happened 
Um, it's always better, I think. It, it might feel embarrassing to admit to it or like just because you had chlamydia and you didn't know, like it, that, that in itself, you just might feel embarrassed. Wouldn't you rather just know, put your mind at ease to be like, right, I'm just having missed periods because, you know, my cycle is just something's something's going wrong like something is affecting my cycle at the moment but just to know that it's not affecting your fertility or something like mm-hmm. it's worth that feeling embarrassed for like that 10 minute conversation because imagine if it like god forbid touch wood i'm literally touching wood right now um that it, it, it is that wouldn't you just i feel like people are just scared to know and it's like mm-hmm. but you need to know and you are going to know at some point so sooner rather than later in any circumstance is always the better option I think mm-hmm. have you wrapped your your brain yeah to like that? yeah definitely I think I think the main thing is like if if you're unsure like who to go to to talk about it like going to a sexual health clinic like they literally have these conversations all day long because I know like talking to your regular doctor or going to like a walk-in clinic that can be super awkward like say you know like for my family doctor he's known me since I was like five. There can be some awkward conversations. I'm like, oh my gosh, like you're treating my whole family. But if you go to a sexual health clinic, like that is their job. They are there to like not make you feel shame. They're there to like actually like unpack that experience for you. And a lot of folks, more and more, there are like menstrual wellness educators like online, but also connected to clinics who can talk to you about like you know, what about your, like, your diet or your exercise might be affecting your cycle? What about your stress? Or did you move to a new job? You know, like, there's lots of different things that can impact our menstrual cycle. So, yeah, like, like you said, Rachel, like, being able to go and have that conversation and to just know, because that worrying about it is just going to eat away at you. And, you know, you, you shouldn't be feeling shame about the fact that you had chlamydia once in the past. Like, Again, you might not have had any symptoms. You didn't even know. And it's best now that you're aware of your health and you're going to take the steps to address it. Exactly. So I I hope that helps. And again, I feel like even I could, like, I have to sort of tell myself this, but like, if you need to go to a sexual health clinic and it's, you you basically come up with every excuse under the sun to like not to go, like, what was if I see someone? Like, blah, blah, blah. You do realize if you see someone that you know at the sexual health clinic, they are probably there for the exact same reason you are. So they're probably just as embarrassed as you. Like everyone that you would see at the sexual health clinic has something that they're concerned about. So the fact that that is a reason to not go is like so silly. I did, That just like came to my head because I was just thinking yeah. about it here. I was like thinking like, oh yeah, they should definitely go to a sexual health clinic, but they might be feeling embarrassed. It's like, you shouldn't be worried about seeing someone there because they are there for a, 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 probably a similar reason or like maybe something in their eyes even more embarrassing to them. So like that should never be a reason to not go. But um, another one which I thought was um, interesting and people might be able to relate to is someone said, I'm 33 and just recently had sex for the first time. When I was penetrated, my hymen broke and I bled a lot. And I mean a lot for a couple of days. I was curious if it was normal to bleed so much. I haven't had penetra- I haven't had penetration since and I'm afraid it will happen again. Mm, great question. So there's kind of like myths and understandings around the hymen, but there's lots of different 
uh, ways that it can like take shape. Um, I won't be able to give all like the specific scientific terms that I can't really remember like, but a lot of folks, it's quite common that the hymen, which is kind of like, there is no like medical reason or like biological reason why it's there. It's just like some leftover like cells and like skin that like sometimes can cover um, the opening of the vagina. Uh, but for a lot of people, that's not like a sign of virginity. Like if you lost it when you were younger, say you really like were into playing sports or something like that, they could happen earlier in your life. But for this uh, listener in particular, it sounds like, like, I'm sorry that that was such a painful experience and that you bled so much. Um, I wonder, I would highly recommend going to talk to a clinic, talk to a gynecologist um, to kind of get an understanding of like what happened. Because absolutely, like if you do have like a, a hymen that is broken, you can bleed. But multiple days, to me, that's maybe signaling that something else is is going on. Um, and the thing is, too, that if that hymen has been broken and you decide to have penetrative sex again, then that shouldn't be the experience that you have again. But I think the one thing that I really want to normalize when it comes to any type of sex is that we, we shouldn't normalize sex being painful, right? Unless that's something, you know, like you're really into pain. That's a whole other like BDSM kink thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I did, an, I did an episode on fetishes if you want to oh, listen to that one. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, but if, if that's not something like, you know, Again, I think a lot of folks with like vaginas and vulvas were like, oh, well, penetration, like it, it's supposed to be like painful. It's normal that it's painful. And yeah, for the first time that you have sex, it's understandable that um, maybe you don't have understanding of what that feels like. But if we're feeling like really aroused and like excited to be having sex with this person and if we're using lube, please, for the love of God, everyone use lube. Like the more yeah. lube, the better. Um, then it should be a really like pleasurable experience. So yeah, I would say definitely go and talk to like a doctor, um, a gynecologist would be great. Even if you go to a sexual health clinic and then they can help you figure out what's going on and then maybe they can recommend you to a gynecologist or who you should talk to next. Because right. to me, that does seem a bit strange that you would bleed for multiple you, days. Is it possible... Does, like, age have anything to do with it? Like, if she's saying that she's only just had um, penetrative sex at the age of 33, is that does, is that maybe why there's a lot of blood in the sense there's been 33 years of, like, uh, having a hymen that's, like, intact? Or does your hymen stay the exact sort of same throughout your whole life? I don't know, like, the biology of it down there, but uh, maybe it's... Is, is that possible? Right. I mean, potentially. But if this person has ever had, like, their period before, which I'm assuming that they would, if you were to put in, like, a tampon or, like, you know, a menstrual cup or something like that, something like that could have totally broke the hymen. Sometimes it won't, right? Or if you've ever, right. like, masturbated, put your fingers in there. So it's quite unusual that we would have, like, a fully intact hymen. Like, most of us, again, it's like this leftover material that we have, like, when we're born, there's maybe some sort of cells or skin over the opening of the vagina. But a lot of folks don't have any hymen at all. And that's not like anything wrong with them or it broke if they're like doing something else. So yeah, I, it does, as we get a lot older, of the blood, A lot of blood in any situation is yeah. just a little bit of a red, <laughs> red flag. But um, <laughs> it's just a little bit of a red flag. It, it's probably like eight times out of 10. It's probably not anything really to worry about. The amounts of blood... Uh, we produce is always going to be different in anyone like even if you cut your finger on like paper some people could literally like ooze blood from like the tiniest cut and some people 
don't really even bleed at all. Like a huge amount of blood is always a little bit like question mark, but especially because it's in an area, if you're saying that you've just had sex for the first time sort of now, it's an area that you're not hugely maybe familiar with in in that sense to be able to know like oh like that just happens or like or, mm. or something like that so definitely don't feel embarrassed to go and ask someone because when it's not your period blood coming out of your vagina is gonna be sort of slightly alarming to to anyone yeah. um yeah and it might just be the case that you know your hymen is just breaking i don't know breaking breaking down like slower and it's just happening but also definitely don't let this put you off having sex ever again because you know there's a whole world out there that once you you know can put this problem at ease you're gonna have the best time ever i'm sure so like don't let this scare you it's better it's always just better to know guys Mm -hmm. it's always just better to know i feel like whenever i go to the doctors (laughs) i rehearse what i'm saying in my head like 500 times and as soon as i sit down because there's just so much anxiety around it I've like told them my whole life story in like 30 seconds. It's just been a massive word vomit. And they're just like, right. <laughs> and let's like, <laughs> let's go through it. So like, as long as you're like asking the right questions, some, sometimes more information is good. Like, t- like just tell them everything, tell them mm-hmm. everything. So then like, it's just easier to get to the bottom of it. And I'm sure you'd all yeah. just like rather know, um, mm-hmm you know you just rather know so then you can go on and have a life filled with amazing sex like you don't want to be scared that this is gonna gonna happen again but the last question i'm gonna end on which we kind of touched on earlier and i said i wasn't gonna ask it because i feel like loads of people did but i think this is a good one because it well you'll see um someone said i have been having sex and experimenting sexually for around five years and I've still never been able to orgasm. It isn't from lack of skill from my sexual partners as they've all known what they were doing and I've tried to get myself to orgasm but I can't manage it either. Please help. Oh, that's such a good question. And- Cause that, I feel like that's, yeah. I, I liked that one because I, I feel like um, girl, girl sex you would think because you're both girls, you know what you're doing. It's a lot of like outside, like a lot of it's like outside stimulation that, you know, it would be easier to orgasm in that way. You both um, have the same genitals. So you're mm. familiar with what you would do to somebody else's. Um, so I like, well, I didn't like the fact, but I'm just saying it's interesting that she has um, experimented with, with both, with both. And it's still a struggle for her. Yeah, I guess the hard thing is too, like you said, like it wasn't a, a lack of experimentation or trying. Um, and I wonder too, like, has that been something that you've experimented by yourself? Because putting that pressure on like a partner or partners to try and, and orgasm can be hard. She said, I've tried to get myself to orgasm, but um, I can't manage it either. I think that's at the point where you'd want to go talk to a specialist. Because if you've clearly, this person has done their homework. Like you've you've done your work of like, trying to pleasure yourself, trying lots of different things. Like there there might be something else that's going on. And I I mean, I would love to know more. Like do they feel like they get close to it or they never really do? Because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of what does an orgasm feel like because it feels so different for each of us. But it's hard yeah. when you've had one. You're like, oh, you'll know. Like you know what it is. You're like, well, do we actually know? So yeah, so talking to a specialist because maybe there is something that's going that's going on. Um, I don't want to scare them like 
medically there's something going on potentially but maybe there's kind of like a mental block or something I was gonna say it might be psychological I mean I would never want to assume but there might be a subconscious trauma that you've got like around something sexual that just you're telling yourself like I should be enjoying this I should be enjoying this but internally you're just like I'm not like I'm really not no matter who I'm with I'm just not enjoying it so it's yeah definitely I think um it seems like you've done everything physically to to try so sometimes it's just better to to talk it out with like a sex therapist maybe Mm -hmm. before you go to the doctor or maybe vice versa even um or maybe both like it's it's it you should always like I feel like you've got to gotta go through life being able to have like if you've never had an orgasm like it's it's everyone wants to you know you want to experience it um it's an amazing feeling like why would you not want to experience that so it's better to just all options you know you've done it physically now it's time to talk and if that's whether it's with a doctor or maybe like a sexual therapist whatever Mm -hmm. you are most comfortable with um I think that's probably what I would have I would have suggested yeah. like we gotta talk guys talk yes. about it like yeah like I said so many people are, like said that they're unable to orgasm so it's like you are not the only one to have that thought and it's obviously more common than we all think like I feel mm-hmm. like everyone just thinks that when they hear about their friends having sex or like doing things like obviously obviously like they orgasm and it's like probably not like you know, yeah. it, it's it's actually probably less common than it is common, and everyone everyone's different. Like you just may mm-hmm. not have been able to find your specific way to to get there. Yeah, definitely. I and I think like our our media and stuff does not help us either because they like have oh, sex God. for like five minutes. It's mainly penetrative, and then they have like mind blowing orgasms. And I'm like, I actually don't know anyone that's had like a satisfying orgasm like in that like way in that Hollywood kind of way so yeah like you said like if you can talk to a therapist and that's I mean I probably sound like a broken record but if you go to a sexual health clinic they know all of these people they have connections to all of the different people like a pelvic floor specialist to like a sex therapist like there's lots of different people that they can put you in contact with and like they're just amazing places with like amazing amazing people who work there well We've been talking for about like an hour now. So I feel like perfect time to wrap it up. Leah, thank you so much for coming on. I really hope everyone takes away um, from this episode just how important it is to ask questions. I promise you, uh, we've just been saying this, you will not be the first to ask or experience whatever it is you might be worried about. It's better, it's always better to be safe then sorry and you know if you are still a little bit uncomfortable of asking these questions and you actually prefer like listening to something like this um and you want to hear more conversations about having sex and sexual health make sure you check out leah's podcast called the love doctor i will leave it linked down below as well as her instagram uh Tidy, where you can check out her super fun and informative sex content but thank you so much for coming on and just having these conversations with me and answering all of these you know random but relevant questions about sex yeah thank you so much for having me on I really enjoyed it and yeah I hope I hope it's been helpful to folks and again there's only so much I feel like we covered so much ground but there's still so much more to talk about so yeah absolutely like do some of your own research and hopefully we can point you in the right direction of like resources that will help answer those other questions that you undoubtedly have yeah I was gonna say if there's a sexual thought that you've had 
if you go to Leah's podcast, there is probably an episode on it and that might give you a little bit more information because I know we've touched on so many things, but it's hard to go into depth on everything and all of these like important topics uh, without sitting here and talking for hours. So everyone go and have a binge of that. I will leave it linked down below. And there we have it, guys. The final episode of Rach Leary Rated R Season one and I feel like that was that was a good one to end this season on because it's probably the most important topic to talk about especially amongst young adults our sexual health and just making sure we're staying healthy being safe so I really hope you guys learned something from this episode can take something away from it like I said at the end of it Dr Leah Tidy has her own podcast I will leave it linked in the podcast episode description it's called The Love Doctor where she continues the conversation of maybe things that we did not cover in this episode so if you want to keep listening and keep learning make sure you check that out and also like I said at the end her Instagram as well but that is it that is season one wrapped up I just wanted to take this moment to say thank you guys so so much for the overwhelming support on this so far. We're only one season in and yeah, the amount of support that I've seen from you guys and interest I've seen from you guys is just amazing, more than I could have ever imagined. So make sure you are following the at Rated R podcast on Instagram so you know when season two is dropping. And I also want you to get involved. Tell me who you wanna see on the podcast. Who do we want to see in the new year? I'm so open to suggestions. Let me know. Send a DM over on the Rated R podcast Instagram. But yeah, happy Monday, guys. Have an amazing rest of the week. Make sure you share this episode with someone or catch up on all of the previous episodes so far. Um, And yeah, have a fab week, you guys. I will see you. Oh my God, I'm not going to see you next Monday, but I'll see you in the new year. I love you. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.